welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Let's stand upstairs. We are in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. We're going through a sermon series about Jesus leading up to Easter, leading up to his crucifixion, leading up to his resurrection. These are Bible stories you need to know. And this morning we come to the section of Scripture of what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to be looking at this passage where Jesus, he was with his disciples and he has final time of prayer with them. And then we're going to see about how he was arrested and about how he, even though he was being arrested, Christ was in total control of the situation. So I want you to follow along here in Matthew chapter 26 in your Bibles. And then later on, we're going to flip over our Bibles. There's one more section of Scripture we're going to look at in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. But before we read it, I actually have a quote from Adrian Rogers. I want to put on the screen here. I want you to follow along. Adrian Rogers was a great pastor who I, I still listen to his sermons. And in 2003, he made this statement. I'd rather be Peter, James, and John. Those are the three people of the inner core that stayed in there, that uh, went up in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. He says, that I'd rather be with them asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane than be a Christian asleep in these pregnant days of sin in which we live. Now, it was in 2003, he felt that way. In the, in the asleep in these days of sin. And I think our goal of this message this morning, what the Lord wants to speak to you, you want to make sure that you are not asleep with what's going on, not just in our world, but also the Lord working in your personal life. Uh, you want to make sure that you are awake, aware of saying, God, how can you use me? And just like I gave those invitations about our schedule for leading up to Easter, I promise you, if you start praying this week, saying, God, put someone in my path whom I can invite to church, an Easter egg hunt, a Good Friday service, adult music, children's music, I promise the Lord will bring people in your path whom you can invite to church with the very purpose of them learning about Jesus. That will happen. That's a prayer God has always answered in my life. You start praying to be a witness for Jesus, it's amazing the opportunities. That's a, I, in fact, that's a guaranteed prayer. In my life, there are two guaranteed prayers I always get answered. When you give your finances over to the Lord, in fact, the Bible tells us that God challenges us to test Him with our money. You start saying, Lord, I want to surrender my money and Lord, I want to start doing personal evangelism. Meaning, I want, to, I want to see some souls saved, and I want to invite some people to church. You start praying those two prayers, that's a guaranteed answer from the Lord. He can take over your finances, and He'll bring lost people in your life that you can tell them how, about how to be saved. Automatic. Those are automatic answers every single time with that. And Adrian Rogers is telling us that we need to make sure we are not asleep. And that's our goal this morning. We live in a time of our nation of this downdrift of moral and spiritual decline. I was watching two nights ago NCAA basketball. Now you would think that would be appropriate to watch with family and children. 
Folks, I was watching TV, and there was a commercial with a, for, I guess, a trans woman. And I thought, that's sad, that even on, on college basketball games, that is being promoted. We're always reminded, Genesis 1.27 tells us, God created male, and he created female. The Lord created us. There's men, this is crazy, we have to be taught this, have an X and Y chromosome. Women have an X and X chromosome. Folks, when it comes down to biology, the creation, all you have to say, is it a man or a woman? Does the person have a Y chromosome? Check his DNA, because if he does, he's a male. That's with every human on earth. And that, as simple as that is, we live in a time of moral confusion for that. And we as believers, we have to realize that we can't be asleep amidst lots of changes in our culture. And we want to be faithful to the Lord, standing on God's Word. So that's what we're going to see here in our Bible. Take a look at God's Word. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Say, where is this place at Gethsemane? Jerusalem is a city. It's a walled city. Back in Bible times, they would build walls around your city. Jerusalem is a walled city. And you go down, it's up on a hill, and you go down the city, you actually go into a graveyard when you go down, but then when you get down at the bottom, it starts going back up another hill. And on one of those hills there is what we call the Mount of Olives. It's still there today. It's kind of like a park. And inside the Mount of Olives, there's olive trees naturally there. There's a garden, a big kind of a city park, called the Garden of Gethsemane. It'd be like going to Arboretum here in um, Lexington. You know, by the uh, uh, Kroger Field, there's a nice city park right there. You can go there and go for a walk, look at dogs, look at the trees, do whatever you want. It's, just, it's a park. Well, that's what Garden of Gethsemane is. It's like the city park of Jerusalem, but it's right outside the city on this big hill called the Mount of Olives. And typically what would happen is Jesus, he'd be inside the city, he's teaching with his disciples, he's healing people, he's doing ministry, but then at nighttime he would go out to this Garden of Gethsemane and he would spend time with his disciples. He'd get away from the busyness of the city, walk about half a mile, a mile, and, and go into this garden. And this would be a common meeting place. It would be a place of prayer. It would be a place you would just relax, hang out. You could spend the night there with the warm weather they had always had going on there. But that's typically what he was doing. So that's what is occurring right now. And he tells his disciples in verse 36, You sit here while I go over there and pray. Because the garden's pretty big. So he's putting one group here and he's going to walk over here and pray. And it says he takes along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John go off a little bit. That's the inner three. And they're going to spend intense time in prayer. And it says there he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther. So he's leaving them there, and he's even going farther because he's grieving. He's upset. He said, what's he upset about? Jesus, this is on Thursday night. Jesus is about to be arrested. 
Jesus dies on Friday. That's why we call it Good Friday. What happened at Jesus' death is what we call a substitutionary atonement. That's a big church word, so I want to explain what that meant. When Jesus died on the cross, He took all of the world's sins that's ever occurred, and all future sins, and He stood on this cross in their place. He's accepting the sins of the world. The reason why that's so important, because Jesus is dying. Jesus, of all the people who've ever lived, did not have to die. In fact, God did not create death. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever. They were supposed to always be in fellowship with the Lord. Death was not supposed to occur. But it did occur because of disobedience. So, Jesus is now is about to experience something, death, dying, that God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it wasn't even created for them. It's Jesus is thinking, why do I have to die when this wasn't even created for me? In fact, I've never even sinned. Have you ever, have you ever been you felt you're, you're maybe having to do something and you're not even responsible for it. It's kind of like your whole life you pay into Social Security. And then when you retire, it's gone. The money, they say, is no longer there. Or you don't pay into Social Security and you know other people who are and there's a disparity between the two. And then that person ends up getting it. What happens is something is, is you feel like you're, you're, you've been wrongly taken advantage of in this case. Why am I having to pay for this when I didn't do this? Why am I getting billed for something that I don't even want? That's what J Jesus might feel like, and we're going to see that he does feel that way. He's wrestling with this. Because he's about to die on the cross and pay for the world's sins, when he, in fact, has never sinned, and he doesn't even have to die. Keep going here in your Bibles. He says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup, that cup there, we're not talking about a cup he's drinking, he's talking about the cup of suffering. As he's about to be anguished, it's the wrath of God is going to be poured out. He's saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but as you will. Understand what's occurring. Jesus is also human. He does not want to die. For someone who doesn't have to die, he's not even guilty of death. Yet, he's saying, God, I don't want my will in this situation. Because I personally don't want to go through this. But, Lord, if this is what you want, I'll do it because I want your will. Do you see the contrast Jesus is making? This is something we wrestle with every day. Folks, this is selfishness. What do I want and not what does God want me to do? I mean, even coming to church on Sundays, you wake up in the morning and you have to answer the question, says, God, 
I might not feel like going to church today. I might not feel it's the easiest thing to do. I might feel like worshiping online. But Lord, I'm doing this to honor you. It's what you want. Our obedience to God is honorable to Him. Our statement, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's saying, Lord, I'm putting what you want first and foremost over anything else in my life. Then he came to the disciples and he found them asleep. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Peter, one hour. Folks, when's the last time you spent one hour in prayer? Have you thought about praying for one hour? He asked for one hour worth of prayer. I want to tell you something. You might be sitting here thinking, Pastor, I wouldn't even know what to pray for for one hour. Here's what you need. If you want to start praying for one hour, here's what you need. You get a pen and piece of paper, and you start writing down 20 things. Now you say, what would be those 20 things? Here's some things you could pray for. You can pray for your family. Maybe you know some family members that don't go to church. You could pray for them. You could pray for your children or your grandchildren, whom they're going to get married, for them to make wise decisions at school, maybe where they go to college. You can pray for your pastor. You can pray for our church. You can pray for Ukraine. You can pray for revival to occur here throughout Lexington in our country, which desperately is needed. You pray for your co-workers who are spiritually lost at work that aren't saved. You just start writing down names on a piece of paper and say, God, I'm going to pray for each person, each request for three minutes. You go through all 20 of those folks, you have, you have right there one hour in prayer. And Jesus is about to die, and he comes. Apparently he was gone an hour. If Jesus can pray an hour, and he didn't want to because he was wrestling with it, he's asking his disciples, and he asks you, can you not stay awake for an hour? Guys, I know you all don't understand this, but there is great temptation. They just think it's another night. Getting ready for the Passover. A lot of people are coming to Jerusalem. Another Jewish feast. This is not what they think. This is the night Jesus is about to be arrested. And it goes on to say, verse 41, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Look at this. The Spirit is willing. You know what the Spirit is? That's our intentions. That's things we know what we want to do. Everybody has good intentions. Everyone, every Christian every Sunday has good intentions going to church. Everyone wants to have good, a, a personal quiet time where we spend time with the Lord. He's saying, you have this willing spirit. And God's aware of this. But he says, the spirit is willing. But folks, the flesh, meaning our lives, it's weak. Meaning we have to recognize that we will give in to our human nature. There's going to be days where we're just tired and we're not going to want to do something. But the Lord is saying it's possible. He's saying you, if he asks for an hour of prayer, he expects, he expected the disciples to do it. And it says in verse 42, again, a second time he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. You notice it says he prayed the exact same thing. You know what? If you make a list of 20 things to pray for, I promise you. You can actually take that same list and pray about it the next day. Just each day. Because you're pleading with God for the same important things in your life. 
You don't have to write a new list. You just use the list you have. Jesus actually just followed up on his continuous prayer. The exact same prayers he's going and praying. He's saying the second time we went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. That's the second time. They're still falling asleep on the job. After leaving them, he went away a third time. And he prayed. He said the same thing again. Same prayer life to the Lord. Then he came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Guys, I've mentioned it now three times and you're still asleep. See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. Jesus is omniscience. That word means he knows everything. So he is fully aware that right around the corner is the betrayer, Judas, who's about to arrest him. I think the biblical principle for us, what do we learn in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus had a regular prayer location. This garden is where he would regularly go, meet with his disciples, and pray in his prayer closet. Jesus spent an hour in prayer. These weren't one-minute prayer life. He's spending intense time with the Lord. In Luke's account, it says his prayer was so powerful that it was like drops of, the, his sweat was so thick, it was like drops of blood. He, there, was an, there was an intensity of his prayer life. He recognized there was a fervency how this isn't just casual. He's about to do something that will affect every human that has ever lived. Now, verse 47. While he was still speaking, literally Jesus hadn't even finished the words, my betrayer is near, and look who's in the garden now. While he was still speaking, verse 47, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. Notice how it says he suddenly arrived. All of a sudden, bam, he just appears. Folks, that's how sin works in our life. That's how the unexpected occurs. Jesus knew it was going to happen. The sleepy disciples falling asleep, they, they're confused. They're half asleep. And next thing you know, this little army showing, arresting a party is showing to grab and get Jesus. And I think for us, that's how quickly, if we aren't prepared, if we haven't prayed about a situation, something like this can sneak up on our life and look at what's going to occur with all the disciples. Folks, they're going to abandon the Lord. They leave Him. It says here, they suddenly arrive, a large mob with swords and clubs was with Him from the chief priests and the elders of people. So they're showing up with weapons. They suddenly show up in the Garden of Gethsemane. So how did they know where He was at? Back in Bible times, they didn't have street lamps, they didn't have flashlights. So what happened is it was dark. When you were outside the city at night and there was no torches to help light things up, you're out in this garden. It's pitch black. Say, why didn't they arrest him in the city? Because Jesus was very popular. He was a healer. He taught people. He would go into the city of Jerusalem. He'd teach the Word of God. And the religious leaders, it wouldn't look good for them to arrest, arrest them. Let me just put it in perspective. Let's just say 
Um, we, next Sunday, we had a guest preacher. And guest preacher shows up, and y'all really like him. He's better than me. He's preaching a great message. You feel the Spirit of the Lord. In fact, people start getting healed. And a lot of people start coming, on, coming in. And there's just a great movement of the Lord. But then over here, there's a little group of men who are some deacons, and they don't like the guest preacher because he's like changing the church. So they think, we need to get rid of this guy. Let's arrest him. So would the deacons arrest him while he's up in the pulpit? Would they walk up front while he's healing somebody and put handcuffs on and say, we're going to take you off to church jail over here? No, you, you do that in the parking lot. You do that when nobody else, you do that when everybody has been dismissed. When you're doing something up to no good or something dirty, you do it when the, it's dark and there's not a big crowd around. So Judas knew exactly where Jesus would regularly go and pray and t teach his disciples. He would regularly go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's leading this little group here to a location where he knows that's where Jesus is going to be. That way there's no fans, nobody's looking around. We can just do a quick arrest, and we've got Jesus. That's what's going on right here. That's why Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night with no one looking. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. Back Back in Bible times, you greeted people with a kiss. That would be a little weird today. We greet with handshakes. Folks probably wouldn't come back to church if I walked and started kissing them. Sherry Osmond wouldn't be very happy if I... Anyway, move along. The children think that is weird. Well, anyway, it just would be awk, totally awkward if you started going up to people kissing them. And look, but that's how... 2,000 years ago, that's how things were. And it says here, so immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed them. He's identifying, because remember, they wore hoods. They looked like Jedi knights back then. That's what they went around wearing. So it's hard to identify in the middle of a dark garden who is who. But Judas knew who Jesus was, and they wanted to correctly identify the man. Friend, Jesus asked him, now this is the question for us this morning. Look at this question that Jesus asked, it goes unanswered. Friend, Jesus asked him, he's talking to Judas, why have you come? Judas, why have you come? Why are you here? Now they came to arrest Jesus. Do you know what Judas received for this? He received 30 silver coins. That's all he got for Jesus. And it says after Jesus was crucified, Judas, he didn't repent, says he became remorseful. There's a difference between being remorseful and repentance. He became remorseful, and he took the 30 silver coins, went back to the Jewish leaders who, were, who had executed Jesus, and he threw the money, the money bag of 30 silver coins, back to the religious leaders. and says, I don't want it. Then he went out and committed suicide. He's one of seven people in the Bible who committed suicide. He went and killed himself. But Judas here, he turned that money back in. The chief priests pick up the money. And they say, what do we do with this? This money has blood all over. We can't use this money. 
So they took the money and they went and bought a graveyard for poor people who can't afford a burial. They went and bought some land. And the name of the land is called Potter's Field. That's why in some, if you go into real rural areas, out in the country, you'll still see them. You'll see what they call Potter's Field. That name comes from the Bible that came from the field that the money that was the 30 silver coins that was used to purchase the money that Judas had received from the chief priest to betray Jesus. That's what Potter's Field is. Judas is asked the question, why have you come? I want to answer that question, because Judas never answers that question. That's one of the unanswered questions that Jesus asked. He never got an answer. Because I don't think it was over the 30 silver coins. Yes, Judas was greedy. He wanted money. But if you read your Bible earlier, it says, chapter earlier, it says that the devil actually entered into Judas. Jesus says that the reason Judas was born was actually to betray Jesus. Judas, in many ways, didn't have a chance. His purpose on earth was to be the betrayer of Jesus. I believe the devil thought, why have you come? Because the devil believed by killing Jesus, by having Jesus crucified, by having Jesus turned over to the chief priests, the religious leaders, and him ultimately dying, then the devil would have a victory over God. That's what the devil believed was going to happen. What occurred was Jesus did die. His death and resurrection defeated the devil. So the answering, why have you come? What's going on here? I believe Judas doesn't even realize that he's being basically a, a, a token by the devil to kill Jesus. And he doesn't w- realize it. He thinks, hey, I can make 30 quick bucks off this man and get some extra money. They came to him, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand. Luke's account tells us this was Peter. He pulls out his hand. I remember they're half asleep at this point. When you're asleep, many times you say things you don't always know what you're talking about. You don't always fully aware of what's going on. So he reaches out his hand, draws his sword, and he struck off the high priest. His name's Malthus, his ear. Then Jesus told him, we know in John's account, he healed him and he restored his ear right then. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot call on my Father? He will provide me here now with... Look at this, more than 12 legions of angels. A legion was 6,000. Jesus is saying, you've showed up with these clubs and these swords, but I have the authority to call down 12 legions. 12 legions, that's 72,000 angels. Meaning, I can call down angels to destroy all of you. Every day, I used to sit teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. And look at this last verse. And then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Peter, 
The man who said he would never betray Jesus. The man who pulls out his sword to kill. And I want to tell you, he wasn't swinging for an ear. He was swinging to behead the man. And the little servant ducked his head and lost his ear. That's what really happened. Peter was trying to murder that man. And once Jesus is is taken away, it says all the disciples, the same disciples who were sleeping, Within minutes of that event happening, Jesus has been arrested. Jesus didn't fight back. He submitted himself to this arrest. And that question for us, it should linger in your mind. Jesus looks at Judas. Why have you come? Why have you come? Folks, let's ask that for us. Why are you here? What brought you to church this morning? What are you looking to get out of this? You woke up. You knew it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day, the Bible tells us. And God brought you here. How we answer that question shapes everything about who we are. Are we coming here because we love the Lord? and we've been born again, and we came here to worship Him, or are we coming here because our parents made us? Are we coming here because a friend invited us, and they just kept on inviting, and we finally took up that invitation? Or are we coming here because God has placed a hunger in our life, and everything else out there leaves a void and emptiness? And Jesus offers more. Peter is an example of somebody that in many ways is like us. He was a roller coaster. Last Sunday I shared how Peter made the statement he would never deny Jesus. And then he cuts off someone's ear. He denies Jesus. And then after the resurrection, Jesus comes for three times. He restores Peter three different times. He made the statement. Do you love me, Peter? He's restoring him for the three times he denied him. And then, after he's restored, Peter preaches a Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get saved. But I want you to know something. Peter, he turned back again. He really had a roller coaster. The last scripture we're going to see this morning. Turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Look what God's Word says. Paul confronted Peter for his hypocrisy. Do you know hypocrisy is, the word means a mask. Hypocrites are people who say one thing, who act one way, and then they go out somewhere else and they're different. Folks, your private life, the way you act at home, it should match the way you act at work, school, at church, when you're out and about. There shouldn't be two different Daniels. There shouldn't be two different Sherry's. That's the Bible condemns this because the problem with hypocrisy, folks, who are we fooling? God? He knows everything. He's the only one we give an account to. We don't give an account to each other. We give an account to God. It's an audience of one. Look what happened here. Last scripture we're going to read. But when Cephas, Cephas, everybody in the Bible has to have two names. Cephas is another name for Peter. That's who Peter is. Jesus met Cephas and says, you're no longer Cephas, you're now Peter, which means rock. 
Jesus walked in, the first thing he does is start renaming everybody, which is totally confusing. That's what he did. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Antioch is the place where they commissioned all the missionaries. I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul's one of these guys he didn't talk about behind his back. He stood face to face like a man and he opposed them. The reason why Paul opposed Peter is because Peter had fallen back into hypocrisy. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. Let me explain what happened. Peter was up in Antioch. That was the kind of the Christian missionary sending. It's in current day Turkey. Back then it was in the area called Syria, in extreme northern Israel. And they were launching their missionary journeys there. And a lot of Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jews, are getting saved. And what occurred is Peter, when these Gentiles would get saved, he said, you know, you don't have to follow all these Jewish customs and these Jewish laws. You don't have to eat only kosher meat. We just live for the Lord. But then, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's a very Jewish area. And Peter was Jewish. They came up to visit Peter in Antioch to see what was going on. So look what Peter did. When he realized, oh great, some out-of-town visitors are coming, and we haven't quite been living how they might expect. It says, however, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. That's the Jewish people. He went back to eating kosher food and wearing a yarmulke and putting a phylactery on his arm. He just went back to all these Jewish practices. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You used to dine with Gentiles, and then these people show up, and you put the robe back on, and you're going back to your old ways? And Paul hears about it, so he goes and condemns Peter. He says, you can't do that. That's hypocrisy. And look what he says in last verse, verse 13. Then the rest of those of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. That's the problem with, with hypocrisy. Other people see how you're acting, and then they start acting the same way. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That's, that's why it's so important. Whether in private or in public, we live for the Lord. Because other believers will see what you're doing, and then they'll start doing the same. And I think the principle for us, we look at this entire story of Peter. Peter's life was one of highs and lows. One of the great things, this was a low here in the book of Galatians. Peter also, we know he wrote the book of 1 Peter at the very end of his life. And we know at the very end, of his life. In chapter 3, he encouraged people again to begin fearing the Lord, and he repented of this sin. So we know Peter was one of these guys. He had let Jesus down. He had let all the other disciples down. He had even led Barnabas astray. He had deserted Jesus. But folks, God used him because he was the leader of disciples, and he also preached the Pentecost sermon. And this morning for us, I think the principle for us, when we are asleep, when we don't have a devout prayer life, when we aren't aware of how God is working, we will find ourselves in this up and down spiritual life like Peter. And the question comes back to that Jesus said when he was being arrested, friend, why 
have you come? Folks, this morning, how we answer that question tells us everything. Why am I here? Because if it's for any other reason than to honor, to worship, and live for God, not my will, but Lord, your will, we are just like Peter. We're just like Judas. We're living a a very hypocrisy life. We want to make sure we are faithful in whether private or a public life. I'll invite our band to come forward at this time. We're going to have our invitation. And I want to close on this, where we ask this question of ourselves. God, if you stood before me, say, why are you here this morning? If it's any other reason, we're a hypocrite. God, we're here solely for you. And I want to encourage you to have the bold faith that Paul did. When he saw hypocrisy, when he saw something wrong, he made a stand for Jesus. If there's areas in your life that need to change, Jesus is speaking to you this morning. And just like Paul went and confronted Peter, and he stood before him, we come this morning and we stand before the Lord. We stand before the God and say, God, I'll give you an hour of prayer. God, I don't show up. My weapons aren't clubs and swords. My weapons, my prayer closet. My weapons, my prayer list. God, why have I come? Lord, I have come for you. We're going to stand together. Beecher and our wonderful band is going to lead us in our song. Zach and I are going to be standing down front. Folks, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, if you want to join this church, if you want to get baptized, we have baptism in two weeks, you come forward and take our hands. You make it public today.